Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today, I am very excited to have a special guest on today. Um, our guest has been voted top 25 most influential leaders in inside sales, top 25 sales coaches. I'm, I'm counting on my fingers if you can't see this, top 35 most influential, influential women in sales and top 50 keynote presenters. Um, she's the founder of Factor 8, the sales bar and hashtag girls club. Lauren Bailey, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. You know what I was thinking as you were reading that intro is that I sure just, I can't crack a top 10 to save my damn life. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'd be pretty happy with top 25. That's, that's you know, it's all right. I, yeah. I'm thrilled about it. But as I'm listening to that, I'm like, I don't know, man. That's the numbers keep getting longer, like top. 2,356 women in Phoenix, Arizona who work in a sales career. It gives you something to shoot for though, right? It's a goal. <laughs> there you go. Top 10. I'm getting top 10 next year, right? Right? Yeah. You got to yeah. like that. So tell me about Factor 8. Oh, well, you know what? That's a perfect lead in because this year we were awarded top 20 sales companies by Selling Power Magazine. So um, we do frontline sales rep and manager job training. And it's just straight from the trenches. I hire really great sales leaders who are done with the politics and the spreadsheets who just miss developing people. And we come in and teach people how to sell virtually and how to manage virtual teams. And we love it. Like it's it's a hundred percent based on my foibles and you know, horror stories from <laughs> doing sales and running sales teams and all those gaps that I felt and all those frustrations that I had 20 years later, I started a company to fix them. And I, I love it. It's, it's fascinating. That's awesome. Tell me about how you got your start in sales. I, I would tell you that nine out of 10 women will tell you it's an accident that they got a sales job and it wasn't for me. My dad was in sales and aside from thinking he was a master of BS, I, it just sort of came naturally. So my first job when I was 16 and able to hold down a job, I, uh, you know, slung fashion. I worked at the limited in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And, you know, I was super proud of being the number one person in the Midwest micro market, which meant like, I don't know, two stores, but it was, fun. And I, I ate it up. I really enjoyed it. And I had sales jobs then through college and right out of college until I decided that I should be in charge. And I, I, I thought, wait a minute, I think I want to be a sales leader. What was that transition like from salesperson to sales leader? Easy or hard? The most difficult time of my life. Absolutely, positively. I mean, 20 years later, I started a company, right? So right. there are right. long nights, lots of wine, and crying in my car in the dark before I got out and went home. <laughs> That's what that was like. But to be fair, I was out over my skis. Right. I, I really was. I was 24 
it, like it's my first real big girl post-college full-time job. And I applied at a company and the leader, Steve Caldwell said to me, Lauren, I would love to hire you as a rep, right? Like you've never been in technology before. You, you don't work in the company. You've not done inside sales. Hell, you don't even live here. Let's let you come in and get to number one and then we'll promote you in a year or two which is exactly what I would say if I was interviewing little Lauren now. And I don't know where it came from, Christopher, but out of nowhere, I looked at it. I'm like, really not interested in that. So if you'd like to have me join your company, I'd be happy to accept the sales management position. And I got it. Yeah, <laughs> like, which was a horrible decision. I was awful. Yeah, but I'm sure you learned a lot in that time. Do you have a crazy story from that time as, uh, you know, that young Lauren sales leader? Um, <laughs> I, I, I have probably too many stories <laughs> about that time. It was painful. Like I had a new team and I was new. My team was new and we were a new outbound group of account managers in the fortune 500 division. Now, there aren't a lot of new accounts in the Fortune 500 division, right? So like right. our books were made up of all the stuff that nobody could crack. And we were like this ragtag. I mean, there was one guy on my team who knew what the hell he was doing. His name was Patrick. And like, <laughs> he wanted my job. So that didn't help much. Right. Anyway, we were a hot mess and we flailed for a good quarter because every time they'd have a question, they'd come and ask me and I did not know the answer. And so I would, you know, be there 12 or 14 hours a day. And like I said, go home, cry, drink wine, repeat. And um, it took us about a quarter to pull it together. And at the end of that, we actually hit number one. Now, everybody else there will tell you we hit number one because we had the lowest quotas because <laughs> we were all new. <laughs> so like if you sell some toner, you're going to hit quota in your first six months on the job. But we know that we did it because we learned how to play on each other's strengths. Right. We created these um, go-to sheets, right? Sean could crack into any account and Randy could configure the computers and Melissa could get assistance to talk and Joe knew how to get things out of product management. And so like right. nobody did an entire call deal or day by themselves. And we found a way to get through. Uh, so the moral of the story is don't hire a 24 year old from outside the company with no experience. But in that situation, we found our strengths because right. we had to, yep. to survive. And we turned inward almost. Right. And, yep. and, and overcame and it was phenomenal. It was really great, but it was painful. And I was pissed yep. that my reps didn't come out of training, knowing how to get somebody on the phone, how to da -da 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 look at factor eight's curriculum. And it's a list of all the things. Right. that we had to go teach ourselves. Right, right. Uh, let's talk a bit about your, your, uh, your new initiative, I guess, uh, Hashtag Girls Club. Can you tell me about Hashtag Girls Club. This is a passion project. This is meaningful. This is changing people's lives. And it's awesome. It's really awesome. So our mission is to change the face of sales by helping more women earn leadership positions in sales. Um, what we are is a community. At the heart of the community, we are a sales management certification program. We run a six month cohort. People apply to get in. 
Um, many are sponsored to be there by third-party companies who are very eager to support this initiative and steal this talent, right? And invest in the next generation of sales leaders. We have amazing sponsors. And we go through a six-month rigorous training program. Um, we teach people how to be sales managers. You know, all that training I wish I had 20 years ago. Right. And we give them mentors, um, women sales leaders who they've probably never seen before in their own companies. Right. Uh, we shine spotlights and help them build followings inside the company and outside the company and give them opportunities to grow their network. Um, but I think the heart of that training program is we do a lot of confidence building. And that's that's sort of the theory, Christopher, is I, I believe from my experience, we don't have more women at the top, like the, some of the amazing women we've talked about you've interviewed. It's hard to find those women for your podcast because of two reasons. One, we don't take that first step. The broken run of the ladder is the first run. Right. Getting them from individual contributor into management. And my theory that the number one reason for that is the confidence gap. And HP did a study about that a few years back. If you remember that, it's actually called the confidence gap. And they said, we saw internally that if we had a job posting with 10 items on it, men would apply if they had six or seven of the 10 requirements. Do you want to guess what women's number is? It'd have what to be percentage? 10, I would guess. Like, it is, yeah. yeah. It, we don't apply unless we have 100%. Right. Right? Like, we won't apply for the job until we know we can do the job perfectly, even though we've never had that job before. It doesn't make any sense, but this right. is what happens. And I've studied the brain science behind it and it's fascinating. There are literally the section of your brain that controls nitpicky and perfectionism, like it's larger in women's brains. Anyway, um, I thought, you know what? I have a management sales management training company. I can solve for this. I'm gonna help these women train for the job and build their confidence to apply for the job. Right. And it's it's working. Um, over 70% of our cohort every year has been promoted before the end of the six months. Oh, that is awesome. That's a great yeah, number. Just, I love that. They number. just they take off like rockets. These women are amazing. Yeah. And it's um, I get goosebumps just even talking about it. It's always the best part of my day. Yep. It's we're doing something special. That's really cool. If I'm a CRO or a VP of sales, what should I be doing to get more women into sales leadership roles? We do a really neat thing every year called the Unintentional Boys Club. And I get a couple really brave men, sales leaders from my network to come in and talk about the Boys Club and is it real? And do you treat women differently? And like, what's the, it's a safe space, right? right. And we call it the Unintentional Boys Club. And here's what they tell me. You know, I was 28 years old. I had a huge job to build and scale a sales team. I went out and looked for talent. I hit up my network and I hired all the very best people for the job I could. It turns out that most of them looked like me because that is human nature. Go read a million books about diversity and studies and it will tell you human nature is. We are more comfortable with, we trust, we are attracted to, we like people who are like us. It doesn't matter who the us is. Right. So, um, there you go, right? Not a lot of women are getting hired into sales positions and not from there, the ones who are there aren't raising their hands for the management positions. If you want diversity on your team, you're gonna have to effort. That's what I'll tell CROs. You have to be super intentional about it. You have to carve out time. You have to carve out dollars and you have to carve out goals. People know what's important to you as a leader based on where you spend your time and what you talk about. 
So if you say you want diversity, but don't ever put it in your team's MBOs or talk about it at the quarterly reviews, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to do it like everybody else does. Gee, I wish I could. I went looking around for some black people to hire, but none applied. And that's a bummer. So there it is. Um, if you want women to apply, I do have some tactical advice. You want me to go down that road of what I yeah, learned? Sure. Some really easy things to do. Yeah. So first of all, you know, the study, the list of 10, make your list of job requirements five instead of 10. This isn't about the ideal candidate. Get to that in the interviews, right? right? Keep the list short to just the requirements and watch the women go up. Number two, go and ask women to apply. You've got some phenomenal women submitting marketing and customer service that should be in sales. They just need a little encouragement, okay? What's the worst that could happen? You make their day, right? Um, the third thing is look at the language. So it turns out, Christopher, I was, I grew up in sales, right? In inside sales. It was like only female, always. It's like being raised by a pack of wolves. That's why I talk like a trucker. And my <laughs> own job descriptions were rife with like the male dominated aggressive sales language. Right. But if we think about it, sales is a helping profession and women are more drawn to that. Yeah. I always feel like I'm talking in mass generalities and stereotypes, but they're stereotypes for a reason. Yes. Right. So take a look and, and let the women on your team read it. If it talks about crushing quota and being super aggressive and win, right. kill, maim, that doesn't like, it's not as yeah. great for us. Build yeah. strong relationships, loyalty, help customers, right? Building networks. That is attractive to us. So yeah. three or four quick tips to get more women to apply. I love those. Those are great tips. They're, they're actionable. Like anybody could follow through on that. Yeah. That's, I just can't stand the bullshit where people are talking in theories and platitudes yeah. and they make really great tweets, but nobody can do anything with it. Stop pushing yeah. air and get yeah. something done. That's right. That's right. Um, why, as a sales leader, why should having a diverse sales team be important? Oh, now you see, I'm going to leave that to a lot smarter people. You know, you can find a million articles about diversity on Harvard Business Review and other places. Uh, here's what I took out of them. Mm -hmm. um, number one, your customer set is diverse. If you are only selling to 40-year-old white males, I super invite you to only hire 40-year-old white males, right? right. You know what's something funny is I do. Like 98% of my customers are 40-year-old white males. Isn't that hilarious? Oh, and yet, I've got diversity on the team. Yeah. Uh, so your customer set is diverse. Your ideas will be better. Your culture will be better. And yep. you'll stay out of jail. Those are my top four reasons. Love it. Love it. Actually, I think that was five. So I'm looking to hire a great sales manager. What's the difference between a great salesperson and a great sales leader? A ton. And yet, if you promote your top salesperson to be that leader, you will be like every other sales leader in the world who's made that mistake. We all have, right? right. We right. all have. All right. So, and, and by the way, most great sales reps think they want to go that direction because we're ambitious. Right. And at that age, we have blind ambition. I know I did, right? So I don't know why I want to be the manager. I just want to be in charge. Not a great reason. I made it work for me. Turns out it played to my strengths, but over 50% actually fail within two years. In fact, I think that number is 60%. On a related note, did you know that 43.9% of all statistics are made up on the spot? <laughs> like that one. 
<laughs> All right, so here's the difference. Um, a great sales rep is in um, the me business, right. right? And they what they chase is the W. It's all about the win, come hell or high water. This is why you love them. Yep. Great managers are in the we business, right? Yep. So if you find somebody who is more lit up about helping someone versus getting the deal, you might have a sales manager on your hand. If you look on your team and you find your top one or two reps, it's probably not them. Go look to the team for the person who everybody goes to to ask the question. Go look at the team for the person that people look to in the room when you're talking about something. The person who takes the new kid out for lunch. That's your go-to manager. They're usually a B player, but they love the development. The top reasons I see for them that getting into management are not the money or the title or the power. Right. People who are most successful in my experience are doing it because it lights them up to coach other people. Yep. And because they just want to do things better. And that makes all the difference. So look for those people on your teams and then look for some silly things that make a huge difference, Christopher. Organizational skills, time management skills, process thinking. Mm. The best sales reps are artists. They don't have any idea how they do it. They just do it naturally. Yep. The best leaders of salespeople are scientists. They have a system in place to onboard. They have a system in place for how they approach their day. They have a system about how they approach their business. Ask those questions and you'll find a process systematic thinker. And that's someone who can scale a team. Right. What, do you what should I be doing as a sales leader to cultivate and support those people that I'm thinking, hey, they might be a great future sales leader. What should I be doing to support them and grow them yeah. to be ready for that eventual transition? Uh, I, I, you know, nobody's ever asked me that question and I'm, I'm so grateful that you did. Uh, the number one thing, I've got a list of about seven in my head. So we'll see how many I remember by the end of this. Okay. Uh, the first thing that you should do is have conversations with every single person, not just them, but every single person. Tell me about your future. Are you looking at management? Do you wanna stay in sales? Do you wanna to move to, AE, or you want to go outside? Is it service? Is it marketing? Let's talk about your future at the company. You're, you'll cut your turnover in half just by doing that twice a year. The second thing to do when you find those people is give them someone to mentor. Um, this is not even my advice. I'm stealing this from Anna Baird, who is now the chief revenue officer at Outreach and someone you need on your podcast. Anna does that. Um, she, she gives somebody someone to mentor. And if they love it, Nice. You found somebody who's yeah. going to be a manager. If they're like, eh, I couldn't really find the time or this person wasn't great or they blah, blah. You know, if they come up with reasons why it wasn't great, not a natural fit right. for the love of the game. Yeah. The next thing you can do, especially for the women yeah. is encourage. Just like encouraging them into the sales, it's the magic button and they take off like it launches the rocket. I think you'd be an amazing leader. Have you thought about sales management? Nine out of 10 of the women in Girls Club have that story. Right. Yeah, that's what got them leaning in. It got them over the confidence gap. And then fi my final suggestion is invest in some training for them. Because more than half fail, yep. because it is a different game. You're not going even in the same direction. Read a book called The Leadership Pipeline. 
You're going up and to the right as a rep. And then when you start to become a manager, you have to back up, turn directions and go up and to the left. Every job change isn't further in the same direction, but a new direction. And we need to teach some of those skills. We're going to unlearn the closing of the sales and learn call coaching. Yep. Right? Yep. There's a million of those examples. I won't go into them, but we've got to unlearn some stuff and relearn some stuff. And if we give them some of that training, we can double their success rate and their confidence and their love of the game. Yep. And I think that that's what in the end it's all about for me. Um, when people feel successful at work, it ripples. Yeah. Right. It makes our entire lives better. We're happier humans. The people around us are happier. We're better wives and husbands. We're better parents. And, and when we can help people feel successful on the job, they perform better and their lives are better. And that's how we change lives as sales leaders. That's awesome. I am shocked when I asked that question to my podcast guest, how'd you transition? Most of them like, oh, I got promoted. And it's like, there's the deep end, start swimming. Every um, one of us. Yeah. And, I, and I, we can't do that anymore. No. Right? Everybody our age, Christopher, has that story. It's why none yeah. of them invest in new hire trainings. They're like, well, I got a phone book and a rotary dial phone and I made it happen, right? Your yeah. face tells me you had that experience. And we did, we swam. Yeah. But the world is different now, right? Our hiring pool is a fraction of what it used to be. Our competition is 20x what it used to be. The average lifespan of somebody in sales drops every year by a factor of months. Yep. Right. What we're doing today with this role specialization and the explosive growth requirements that our venture backed companies and SaaS are creating, yep. we are throwing 20 year olds on the fire of sales and watching them burn out. Right. And then just going and getting new logs. Yep. And you can't do it anymore. Yep. You won't find the talent. You won't keep the talent. Right. You won't survive. Right. And you're also, I think you're, you're, you're losing out on those people that had potential that if they just were given a little bit more support, they could have made it. Just a little, yeah. right? Yeah. And the cost yeah. of losing the person, of having the empty seat, of having to grow a new person, and not a little yeah. one, find a new person. <clears throat> and it's, it's funny to watch. I, yeah. I watch people spend about 10x on giving them tools. Yep. I watch them spend about 50x on recruiting them. Yeah. Right? Yep. There's a line item in almost every of your listeners' budget for sales recruiting and sales tools. Yep. But I would venture to bet 40% have a line item for training. Right. And that's that. how you keep them. Yes. It's how you attract them. You know what's the number one thing millennials are looking for? Development. They'll take yep. the job if you have a training program. They'll do yep. better at the job if you have a training program. And they'll stay in the job if right. you have a training program. But like, it's just... We haven't gotten there yet. And I think, frankly, I think it's because most of us didn't experience good training. Right. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? So I'm not yeah. gonna invest in that crap. I figured it out. Why can't they? Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And like, I, we I forget a lot of bad training. Yeah, we forget how inefficient we were, you know, back then when we were struggling and, and right. you know, how much we missed out on because we didn't have right. a clue. Oh my God. And then we buy tools. We buy tools that our former selves. Yep. would kick ass with. Oh yeah. Man, if I had a CRM like that, if I had a sequence cadence system, if I had right. call recording, right? But you're right. not buying it for you. You were right. a freaking superstar. 
You're buying it for a 23 year old who has 17 other tools and can't leave a voicemail and doesn't know how to talk to people on the phone. And I tell you, there's not a CRM in the world that can fix crap process or people that just don't know how to do their job. I bet CRM cannot fix those sales problems. It can't garbage in, garbage out. That's to right. Me, you got to go process, skills, systems. Yep. But most of us are in a hurry. So we go systems. Yes. Then we realize our process sucks and we hire yep. more people to come in and fix it. Yes. Right. Yep. And if we think of it, maybe we'll then do the skills and teach people how to use it. Right. Exactly. That is so that's spot on. Um, and I, I'm all about like, no, 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 people first, people first, then let's look at process. Let's fix whatever is broken there. Mm-hmm. Then technology, what tools do we need to support those first two? And by uh, the way, your adoption will triple, oh, right? Yeah. Shove yeah. a tool down somebody's throat. And it's like, I have 17, thank you. Yeah. And then, but if you have them do the process and do it manually and teach them and they yeah. buy in and they love it, then you give them the tool that makes it easy. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, it's here's, exactly. Here's a big question. How do you get tenured field teams to use their CRM? I have not cracked that one. Yeah, you know, that's, I ask that a lot. Uh, do you? I, when I have the CROs on. Yeah. And I'll, and cause adoption is such a core issue for yeah. CRM technology or any yeah. sales enablement technology that I ask them, the question is what, you have to give everyone a reason why you know, this, they, you need them to use the tool. What, you know, what's the why? And for most salespeople, it's a personal why. Like I, this needs to help me mm-hmm. make more money or sell more or make my job easier so I can do the more calls, whatever. Um, so for them, it's, you know, it's personal, but you also have to get them to understand the why for the organization. I believe mm-hmm. that um, there's a whole lot of stuff happening downstream that people need insight into, you know, that we need to, you know, uh, purchasing, if you're in a manufacturing, if you're selling for a manufacturing company, they're making purchasing decisions on what's in the pipeline. Right. And if you've got crap forecast, if you've got crap data in your CRM, because people Mm. aren't putting stuff in or it's just wrong. Yeah. Right. Christopher, I used to work with IBM. ripple effect is extending throughout the organization. A hundred percent. And here's a story to prove it. And when I worked with IBM, um, you would get in equal trouble for outperforming your forecast as you would for underperforming your forecast. Right. Right. right? Because yeah. they needed to know what to build in Guadalajara. Yeah. Exactly. So you sandbag, you die at that yeah. company. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? If you over, you outperform, you get nope, big trouble. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, but it, th- there's your story for why yeah. CRMs are, Oh, no, it really is. It's spot on that people need to understand there's a whole lot of stuff that's going on downstream. Yeah. And it's all coming from the data and CRM. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a million more people who, you know, manage their people based on what's in the CRM. Mm-hmm. I will right? I will tell you the stories I hear of the, you know, the crusty sales executive who right. knows everything about the product and the business and the customer in the industry who yeah. is not putting that deal in until it's closed. Right. Because somebody can steal it and then somebody yep. is going to force me into it. And then I'm going to have to answer all these damn questions about it. And people are going to get all up in my business and yep. you can just stay out of my deal. Yes. And those are the ones I ask those questions. Uh, like, are you doing, do you do like quarterly retrospectives or even an annual retrospective on the deals that were lost? And, you know, if, the only way you can do that is if you're capturing that data in your CRM. 
Exactly. And it's the only way you're going to find out, you know, hey, we keep losing to competitor X. Why are we losing to competitor X? Yes. You know, there's so much data that yes. can help you in the future that can help you salesperson. If you're giving me that data, I can come up with ways and techniques and tools to help you win those deals in the future. But I can only do that if I can if look I have at the it data. Exactly. Which is why you've got to start with the people. So we'll prove exactly. your point one more time. Yeah. Because somebody who sets up the CRM, yeah. right, doesn't even have those reasons in there, right. or they put 800 loss codes, and then they're yeah. surprised that everybody picks the first three, because it's a required <laughs> field, right? It, it's just hilarious. Yeah. So you start with the people and what they need and how yes. they use it, and that's build right. your process around them, and then give them the CRM that's customized to it. That's right. And You have to happens. find the middle ground, the balance. Yeah. You know, it's that, it, you, the mistake people make too, is they go, like you said, they go to that you know, 5,000 code list that someone has to scroll through to find. And they're just like, screw it. I'm just going to pick one. And I don't right. care what it is because it's killing me. You know, they go to those crazy extremes to get so yes. specific on things that really adds no value. Which is when you have a data head in charge of your CRM exactly. enablement, yeah. which is a problem. Yeah. So here's another one. That, uh, I'm sorry that we're talking. No, no, no. This is I want to talk about your business, not mine. <laughs> the other thing that cracks me up is dashboards. Yes. Like, let's talk about CRMs, datas, and managers, because yes. what most people take as a dashboard breaks my heart. Yes. Right? Can I just bang on your competitor for Salesforce for Go a second? Go right ahead. Because that's not a dashboard, people. When you log in and it tells you that you're at 2% to goal and you're in the red on day two of the month, yeah. have you never heard of a run rate? Right. Like, it's not trend level data it's just a picture of the exact data let's help managers understand the difference between metrics kpis leading and lagging indicators yes. and results yes. and look at the right things at trend level across the team across the floor across the books across yes. the time right yep and now i have things i can use but Nine out of 10 companies, I go and look at what their managers, directors, and VPs are looking at, and it's data, not trends. It's not a dashboard. I, I love that. This is like such a passionate topic for me. I love that you brought it, it up. It must drive you crazy. It drives me nuts. There's nothing useful to look at a dashboard in day two of a, like a quarterly dashboard of day two. What is that yeah. going to tell me? What decision is that helping me make? Nothing. Um, it's nothing. telling you to never look at your dashboards again. Yeah, no, it's well, like, you know, completely worthless. And I learned this from actually from uh, an accounting consultant I was working with that they're like, the only thing worth looking at are those, as you're saying, the trends, what is the trend? What is my rolling, whatever that time frame is 12 mm -hmm. months rolling three based on months, your sales whatever. cycle. Exactly. I want to know where what direction I'm heading am I going up? Am I going down? Yes. What is, you know, what's you know, what, what's the overall picture looking like? Yes. That point in time stuff. It's crap. It doesn't, it doesn't mean it. anything. And I want to look at it a different way. So this is yeah. what I keep waiting for somebody to build in my industry. I'm in the people skills business, right? Not yeah. in the data business. And there are a lot of conversational intelligence tools out there. Mm -hmm. I love Chorus and Gong. There's Exec Vision. Yes. There's Dial Source, who's somebody else now. But, you know, like we get it that we need to have that. But what none of them have yet is trend level skill data. Yes. 
I want to look at Christopher's skills in the rolling 90 days. I want to look at my whole team's gatekeeper skills. I want to look at the whole floors, top three, bottom threes. Like let's, let's get smart about that. And now we can make quality yes. quantitative and yep. we can reward and measure and promote or fire people, not just based on the dials, yes. but on the quality That's right. of that. Right. Oh yeah. I, I, I've talked to every one of their developers it like overseas with this idea and yeah. it does not sell. It does not sell at all. Nobody's buying it. They're focused on the product. They're not focused on the people using the product. And that's but Christopher, it's because they're sales leaders. Your yeah. your audience is asking for something different. Yeah, right? I think you're right. Yeah. Sales right. leaders want to know how many times somebody said their competitor's name. Yes. Sales leaders want to be able to use it to see if they did say they're on a recorded line. Right. Sales leaders, you know what I mean? Yes. We want the aggregate data. We want the voice of the customer. Yep. not the voice of the rep right or again in that throw the log on the fire i'll just go get a new log yes it, it's amazing i had a, a call earlier today about the data metrics um it wasn't related to sales at all but it was just about running a business and the point the gentleman i was talking with said that you know when you're selecting those kpis it's it's so important to really understand what are the important KPIs versus just uh, I've, I'm getting this deluge of data that really yeah. isn't making me help. It's not helping me make At a decision. All. Yeah. And most because people that don't ultimately what you need is like, I need to make a decision. What's next. What are we going to do next? What lever do I need to pull? Yes. When I see this lagging, it's time to yeah. take action because yes. I know that doing that creates da 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 da. No. Exactly. Again, nine and a half out of 10 sales managers don't get that. We created a class called driving performance with goals just for that. Because I'll tell you that here's how you can tell a new sales leader. They have two levers. I got metrics and most people are past dials, but they're not much so much past it that they're not at like talk time. You know what I mean? Like, right. honey, you ask for a dial, you're going to get a dial. Sorry. Right. So you, they've got metrics and they've got results. Yep. So hit quota, make more dials. And this land in between is a vast wasteland yes. of mystery yes. and intrigue. And, and, and of course it is like nobody told it to them. It's not their right. fault, Right. but we can, but when we can break it down, what a difference. That's how you help your team be successful. Even as simple as do they know their daily goal right. and do they know their conversions to get where they need to get? Right. How many conversations to a quote? Yep. You ask somebody that you found a future sales leader. Yep. If they know that answer, they're in the middle ground and they're leading indicators and they know their business and their process. So but I brought it all the way back to answer your first question. Yeah. And if you, are you feeding that information to those frontline people to say where they can look at it and say, oh, hey, I'm off track here. I need to make this adjustment to get back on track. Yeah. You know, it seems like I'm having to have more and more dials to get conversations. It seems right. like I'm having to have more and more conversations to get quotes, appointments, you know, fill right. in your KPI here. Right. It seems like I'm having to book more and more firsts that aren't turning into seconds. When we see those trends, we can yeah. reverse them. We can pull levers before we miss the number. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, we, we've, I love the, where the conversation is going. It's great. Um, the, uh, I want to kind of loop back a little bit into 
uh, sales management in terms of if I'm considering becoming a sales leader, um, what questions should I be asking myself to find out, is that the right role for me? Um, if you're doing it for the money, <laughs> if, don't do it for the money <laughs> because right. if you calculate what you make per hour, it's really a sad thing. Um, if you've got the time and the interest for the long-term career in, right. right, your VP of sales is making bank and you can get there, but it's going to take you 10 years. Yeah. Um, you should look to see if you love teaching what you know or doing what you know. Think about giving away your top 10 accounts and how that feels. Right. Because at least half try to keep them. And right. those are the half that fail. Yes. Um, ask yourself if... Yeah, I think it honestly, it, it, it comes down to teaching versus doing. Right. Um, it comes down to loving the responsibility for making people's lives better. Yep. It comes down to liking to build and fix and mentor and coach. And if you don't love those things, then you're torturing yourself. Right. What, right? So yep. would you rather <clears throat> go to the training class or make five more dials? Right. That's an early indicator, right? Yep. Ooh, I love yep. to learn. Would you yep. rather go get to know somebody else in another department or take a customer to lunch? Again, there you go, right? I want to collaborate. I want to give into this company. I want to see about what's happening here and how we yep. all play together to make this thing work, or I want to go close more business. Yep. So if I'm a CRO over VP of sales and I realize, Hey, I've got a problem with my sales managers. Um, and I reach out to factor eight to help solving this problem. What should my expectations be around solving that problem? Mm. Um, there's a couple different ways to measure success in sales management. Um, and we all do it a little bit differently and it's not easy to do no matter what. Um, but your expectation should be that you're going to see it in the numbers within 90 days or it's not working. Numbers that you may see would be employee engagement up, employee attrition down. You will see a larger percent of the team starting to hit their requirements you will see turnover go up a little bit because we're getting the right people right. on the bus. Um, you'll see activity go up a little bit and then you'll see quota attainment across the board go up. Um, the sign of a great manager isn't the one who's at quota. The sign of a great manager is the one who has the largest percentage of their team at quota. Right. We've all ridden a big deal to make it. Managers ride a great rep to make it, but even better when you can get more people there. So absolutely, those are things that you should expect. Um, it's rah-rah is great and leadership is great and you need it. So is how to use the payroll system and how to not sexually harass people, all important training. But what we love is like you said, tactical and actionable yep. job training. Yep. Here are the meetings that you should be having with your team, how often and what to cover. 
just putting in a cadence. That's what we call this. It's like a sales process, but it's a management process. Just putting that into place night and day, consistency, um, managers have more confidence because it's not whack-a-mole, right? Putting out fires all day long. They get proactive instead of reactive. Their team knows what to expect. I'm spending time with my manager, whereas I didn't talk to him for months before. Just that one simple thing makes all the difference. So there's a lot of tactical know-how that makes a world of difference. In well, that's awesome. Sales. I really appreciate it. We've come up to our, our time. We've actually gone a little bit over, but it's just so great. I love Sorry. going over. Um, I appreciate you coming on Sales Lead Dog. If people want to reach out to you, Lauren, and connect with you, if they want to find out about Factor 8, what's the best way? Yeah, well, please find me on LinkedIn, Lauren Gailey, um, Inside Sales Advisor. You can find us at factor8.com. The other website you want is We Are Girls Club. Dot com. Christopher, don't go to girlsclub.com at work. That's going to get you in trouble. Wearegirlsclub.com is how you find us if you want to mentor or if you want to nominate somebody to be part of the group or encourage somebody there. Um, or just email me. I'm lb at factory.com. That's awesome. Lauren, thank you again for coming on Sales Lead Dog. It's been great. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.